The scripture this morning that I will be preaching from is the 23rd Psalm, and I'm going to ask you to do something that we don't very often do. Turn in your hymnal to page 137. It's listed in your bulletin, page 137. And um, we're going to read the scripture responsively this morning. You'll see the that on page 137 is the 23rd Psalm in a responsive reading. Um, As you're getting turned, I will just say that when this hymnal was done in 1988, there was a large debate about whether the 123rd Psalm, most of our Psalms in here are in the New Revised Standard Version. But... um, there was a big argument at General Conference and uh, because a bunch of people said, we've got to have the 23rd Psalm in King James Version, uh, English. So that's what we're reading on page 137, responsively. Are you ready? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. The 23rd Psalm is one of the greatest texts in the entire Bible. It's if I could say it, maybe the one of the Mount Everests of the Bible. Uh, it is one of those texts that a, a preacher almost wants to remove uh, the shoes from his uh, feet before approaching. Um, and, you know, it's right up there with uh, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, First uh, Corinthians 13, the love chapter, those those texts in the Bible that are, are, are so important and so powerful that it's really a little scary for a preacher to preach those texts. And so um, sometimes a preacher will just avoid preaching them because what else is there to say or how can uh, I say it anyway? Usually the only time you hear the 23rd Psalm is at a funeral. And um, it has often been, of course, interpreted individually uh, as if it is speaking to, to you or to me individually. The Lord is, is my shepherd. He leadeth me and, and so on. Today I want to ask you to think about the 23rd Psalm as if uh, God and David is speaking not just to you as an individual, but, but speaking to the church. All of the Psalms, really all of the Bible, is, is written not just to individuals, it is written to the 
household of faith. And so I want to sort of to think of the 23rd Psalm this morning in relationship to, uh, to the church. And I want to do that by using um, three couplets or three promises that I've found um, and tried to organize in the 23rd Psalm. The first one is the phrase, uh, field and stream. Field and stream, not the outdoors magazine uh, that was 125 years old until it finally, like many magazines, went out of business. Field and stream, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures and leadeth me beside the still waters. The church as haven, the church as oasis. There are many images for the church. Sometimes we're called a fortress. People have said the church is a hospital for sinners. The church is called a mission outpost, a charging station. There are all kinds of ways to describe the church, but amongst those other ways, the 23rd Psalm to me, says that the church is oasis, this lush, green pasture with rich uh, grass, uh, verdant. Have any of you been to the the grasslands uh, out in the central part of our country, this thick, uh, lush bluegrass that that used to be across all of the midsection of this country? To think about um, clover, to think about living water. Jesus said, I am, I'm living water. And, and to get this idea of, of church as haven, as oasis, as field and stream. I served a church on, here in Macon, Hartley Bridge Road, um, way out in south part of, of uh, Bibb County. And um, that church, which used to meet in a fellowship hall, they didn't have a sanctuary yet. When you went into that fellowship hall uh, and passed underneath, uh, opened those double doors, above those double doors was a quotation from Psalm 122. Every week you passed under these words, I was glad when they said unto me, let us enter the house of the Lord. Ah, that, that says it all for me about church as oasis, church as, as field and stream. From my earliest days, maybe, uh, maybe as early as Hayes this morning, from my earliest days, I've I have felt church as oasis. I, I remember going as a child um, to Sunday school assembly in the church uh, in the community where I was raised. Bill and Ruth McGraw, who uh, owned and ran the local grocery store, led us every Sunday morning as we children stood together and as we sang, maybe looking a little bit like the Sesame Street kids. I found church 
to be oasis during those turbulent teenage years when you're kind of trying to figure out who you are anyway and you're angry at everybody and maybe you're trying to uh, separate yourself from your parents some but you you come to church and you you find their oasis the church a a constant constant uh, predictable source of lushness and rich living water. My prayer is that you have understood this church in that way, that from the moment you enter that atrium back there, if you come that way and you're automatically greeted by somebody, and you see the coffee and the Krispy Kreme donuts, which are secondary, but I couldn't help but mention them, that, that my prayer is that as you enter, if you come up the steps and come into this sanctuary from Mulberry Street, that you begin to feel it right away as, as a field and stream. That as you sit in Sunday school and, and hear an inspiring lesson, uh, that it is for you something that is refreshing something that restoreth you, to use King James' language. That as we come in and, and hear this marvelous Ainsworth Choir week after week, uh, and perhaps uh, as we sing out of the hymnal or hear the, the, uh, the litany, or maybe as you hear one of these stellar sermons with fresh insight from the 1960s. <laughs> you might feel haven and richness and oasis. Not many weeks ago, I walked past our prayer room out in the hallway, just right out that door. It's a small prayer room. There was one person sitting in that room. She was heartbroken. I stopped because her eye caught mine as I was walking past. I really didn't want to interrupt. But she motioned for me to come in where we could talk. She was sitting in there. It was oasis for her. It was field and stream for her, a place to be quiet, to gather, to collect one's thoughts. The church has often been accused of being escapist. The church has sometimes been accused of, you know, coming together to ignore or avoid everything in the world, and that's not what the church is for. But you get ground down in the world. You can be so deeply troubled in the world that to come into this place where your soul is restored so that you are then kind of put back together again is a beautiful thing. I pray that the church will always be field and stream but there is a, another image 
that comes out of the 23rd Psalm, and that is rod and staff. Rod and staff. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. I pray that the church might be a place of protection to remind me that I'm cared for by God and I'm protected by God in some deep, deep way. In the book of Joshua, in the Old Testament, there, um, uh, Joshua describes how God set apart six cities in Israel. Those six cities were called sanctuary cities. And if anyone had been tragically involved in some kind of homicide that was, um, what do they call it, an accidental homicide, you killed somebody, but you killed them accidentally, there's a name for it, but I can't remember it right now. You could go to one of those six sanctuary cities, and, and that city had to protect you from the people who wanted to take revenge on you until, uh, until there was time for a legitimate trial. So even in the Old Testament, there was an idea that there has to be a place where you can be protected. There has to be a place where you can be safe. These sanctuary, to, to, the word sanctuary itself, what does it mean? It means a safe place. We maybe think about a bird sanctuary where birds know they are protected and safe. And so the church should be a place where we feel protected. Thy rod and thy staff they comfort me. The rod was, um, I'd just call it a big club. And a big club was used by the shepherd to uh, keep away um, the hungry beasts. And the staff was like a crooked, uh, you know, one of those crooked poles. And who was the staff for? The staff was to protect the sheep from who? Themselves. Sometimes God needs to protect us most, not from outside enemies, but, but from ourselves. I love the realism in the Bible. I love the realism in the 23rd Psalm. There are dark valleys. If you're a Christian, you're not protected from that. I mean, you're not, you're not excluded from that. And I'm glad the Bible acknowledges it. We, we do walk through dark valleys. Some of them feel very long. Some of them are serpentine. Some of them are so confusing, we don't know that we're ever going to get out. Think of the church in China, the church in North Korea, the church in Cuba, the church in some of our um, Islamic countries, the ones that are particularly hard line. The church there is walking through a dark valley. But many of um, the churches in this country, of course, we're not walking through those kinds of dark valleys. The, the valleys are sometimes of our own creation. 
They're not external, they're, they're internal. But I would like to, you to notice one thing about the dark valleys and the way that this um, psalm is described. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's, I think my English teacher said, that's a dependent clause. The main part of that is not that I walk through it, but that though I walk through it, I fear no evil. Take courage. Take confidence. It's not because of my stick. It's not because of my staff. It is God's staff. As Paul wrote, I am hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. I am perplexed, but not in despair. I am struck down, but not destroyed. Sometimes the pastor's biggest staff, biggest challenge in a church is reminding people of the rod and the staff. When we get too cautious, when we get too timid, when we uh, get too careful or fearful or fretful, maybe we just need to remember uh, rod and staff. I, I looked online yesterday. I couldn't find any uh, lapel pins that had rods and staffs on them. I couldn't find any pendants that had rods or staffs on them, but somebody ought to make some jewelry like that, and we ought to pass it out to ourselves to remind ourselves Rod and staff. The third image. You got field and stream. Rod and staff. Y'all are trying to figure out what's he going to do on the third one. Goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy. I read about a little child who had been trying to memorize the 23rd Psalm in Sunday school, and he came home and he asked uh, his parents, who was Mrs. Murphy? They didn't know what he meant. He had misunderstood. He thought it said, surely Mrs. Murphy will follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I like to take that as a personal promise, but I like to think about it for the church as well. One of the great, great hymns of the church is Samuel Stone's uh, The Church is One Foundation. And you remember how we sing in that first stanza about, uh, about Jesus. Um, With his own blood, he bought her. And for her life, he died. The goodness and mercy of God follows the church. I've heard uh, Gregory Bushway, our staff parish chair, say many times this last year, if the church would just preach grace, if the church would, would just preach mercy, if the church would continue to say that loudly and clearly, we have a message that can't be overcome. 
His goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Let, let me say that, it, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I didn't take Hebrew. I avoided Hebrew. I didn't want to have anything to do with it in, in seminary. But the commentary says that the word for follow in Hebrew is even stronger than that. The word really means pursue. He's going to chase after you. He's going to chase the church. He is going to pursue us with goodness and with mercy. We are renovating two rooms in our church right now. I'm so grateful that we are. Uh, Chris Sheridan and company will be putting up sheetrock and new walls, and they're already started on that. But but let me say that what Chris uh, Sheridan cannot do, God has already done. The walls of this church are permeated with goodness and mercy. It's not my goodness and mercy. It's not your goodness and mercy. It's not because we are such, uh, you know, we're 196 years old. It's not because of that. It's not because of these stained glass windows. It's God's goodness and mercy. The stories of God's goodness and mercy to us are permeated in this church. I was talking to somebody this morning down in the atrium when, when I walked into this oasis. I was talking to somebody. She and I were talking about the stories of goodness in this church. God's goodness. God's goodness. I see it consistently in the church. I hope you do as well. There are, uh, last Sunday, a, a, a new denomination was announced. People who want to leave the Methodist church. That's okay. Uh, they go with our blessing. Churches don't always get along, and if some Methodists want to start a new part of Methodism, uh, they certainly have the right to do that, and they should go with the blessings of the rest of the church. There's room for honest disagreement in a church. But what I want to say is, I love the fact that God has followed the United Methodist Church with goodness and mercy. We're not perfect. No church is. But I want to tell you, all I'm saying today is that, that the goodness and mercy, there's enough goodness and mercy in God's heart to share with every church. And surely, goodness and mercy follows not only us at the Mulberry Street Church, but the United Methodist denomination itself. I see it consistently. I pray that you do as well. And so I leave you with these three phrases this morning, field and stream, rod and staff, goodness and mercy. We used to memorize the entire 23rd Psalm. Some of you know it by memory. If you don't, I challenge you to work on it. 
It's not too late to learn it. But if you can't do all six verses, at least you can say field and stream, rod and staff, goodness and mercy. Amen.